0: There really are only two options serve god and live in authentic love or serve the evil one and live in selfishness this whole life on earth is a battle between these two choices the question isn't what is the least amount of work i need to do the question is how free do i want to be no amount of lust greed glamour pleasure or fame will ever satisfy us because we weren't made for falsehood or passing things This is Pints with Jack, Season 5, Episode 37, Loved As I Am, After Hours with Sister Miriam James Heidlin. Good morning, everyone. Pints with Jack is your favorite weekly C.S. Lewis podcast where David, Andrew, and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we've been talking about love, and we've worked our way through Lewis's book, The Four Loves. But today, we have a very special guest. This past month has been Ecumenism Month, where we've been speaking to people who love C.S. Lewis from a diverse range of religious backgrounds—Calvinism, Eastern Orthodoxy, Mormonism, and Judaism. Today's episode could be considered a continuation of that month, since today I'm interviewing a Latin Rite Catholic who has clearly appreciated the works of C.S. Lewis. But she has also written a book about authentic love, which also ties into our discussion this season about the four loves. And so I couldn't be more excited to be interviewing Sister Miriam James Heidland. And she's a former Division I athlete who had a radical conversion and joined the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity in 1998. Her story has been featured on EWTNs, the Journey Home, Seat Conference, Steubenville Conferences, and other outlets. She holds a master's degree in theology from Augustine Institute, and it speaks extensively on the topics of conversion, authentic love, forgiveness, and healing. She is also affiliated with the John Paul II Healing Center in leading healing retreats for priests and religious sisters across the nation. Sister Miriam's podcast, Abiding Together, can be found on iTunes. Her books, Restore, a guided Lent journal, and Loved As I Am can be found on Amazon, and she tweets at one groovy nun. Sister Miriam James, welcome to Pints with Jack.
1: Hi, Matt. I'm delighted to be with y'all today. Yay.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, I couldn't be more excited. And before jumping into... What gets me so excited, and I guess my first experience or encounter with you uh, through technology, my co-host apparently drove you around San Diego when you were a speaker at a Steubenville conference there. I want to say he mentioned maybe 2017 or something like that. I want to say your plane was delayed, and so he picked you up from the airport. And uh, drove you somewhere, and he just said it was the most lovely time. He also said he felt like this was a person that could read my soul. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's fantastic.
1: <laughs> oh, that's very kind. Yeah, I I remember being at Stu Diego and I remember being you know taken around by somebody. So it's like, yeah, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> that was a wonderful <laughs> time. <you know. laughs>
0: And, and my personal encounter with you actually starts with the Pints with Aquinas interview. Mm-hmm. And so for listeners, we're going to link that in the description. So when you finish this, you can just click it and go right to that. But that was one of the most beautiful interviews. That was in July, I want to say, of 2021. And I came across it maybe around Christmas time of this past year. And... The, the love, first of all, between you and Matt was just incredible. Obviously, mm-hmm. you guys have such a deep friendship there. And, and then your story and the vulnerability and the tenderness and just the way you talked about it brought me to tears at multiple times. Mm-hmm. And that was my first encounter of, of coming across you. And then after that, I had to get the book Loved As I Am. And I believe in there, you also mentioned uh, you have to get "Be healed. So I went and bought that mm-hmm. book. <laughs> And then uh, after we had asked if you'd be willing to come on and you agreed to, I had no idea the small group that we're doing for Lent is using your book Restored. And oh my so goodness, okay. from December to now, you have been a very big I'm part of you. my <laughs> journey. <laughs> Without even trying to. Yeah.
1: let less, A less, less creepy version. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. And so, I mean, the, the story was just so beautiful there and it just moved me. And so my hope and prayer with, with uh, inviting you on was that others can just be able to, experience what that authentic love is and looks like. And yeah. I, I think back to the quote that I had in the very beginning of this podcast from your book where you talk about, you don't want to ask yourself the least amount you need to do, mm-hmm. but what do you want to be, to free, be mm-hmm. do to be free? And I think that's mm-hmm. what I experienced in your interview. I was like, wow, the way her heart is just so flowing with love. And I, and I think what brought me to tears was mine is not. And it was just very evident to me. and And it was just a wake-up call of, it's because I don't want to go on that journey, the journey that you have to go through that that requires vulnerability, dependence, pain, suffering, opening those wounds. You know, we live our life trying to protect it. And so that was just such a beautiful interview. So thank you. I have to imagine that wasn't the easiest interview for yourself. So thank you for doing that.
1: Oh, well, you're very welcome. I'm glad it blessed you. I've known... I've known Matt for a long time, and it's just been beautiful to see him grow as a man and as a husband and as a father and mm-hmm. as a person. And he came to one of our healing retreats um, that I do with the John Paul II Healing Center a few years ago. And just to see what the Lord has done in his life since then, it's it's stunning to behold. And so, yeah, you beheld, you know, really the world beheld a very tender conversation between two dear friends. And mm-hmm. it, it, I think that's the beauty of vulnerability, you know, many, many, you know, speakers and thinkers say we find vulnerability beautiful in others, but we find it odious in ourselves because Mm. we think it means uh, a precursor to abandonment or a precursor to shame. And all of us have had every single human person um, I believe it's, um, I think Dr. Curtis Tauntman in his book, The Soul of Shame, he talks about how every single one of us has had moments of rejection and moments of abandonment. And that is our fear that if I don't self-protect, I will be abandoned. And so it's shame, it's, vulnerability feels like the like the, one of the four horsemen to abandonment. But we, what we don't really understand is to be human, he says, is to be vulnerable. Like that's, we, mm. we pretend we're not, but we are. And And what the beautiful thing about Christ, who Jesus is, one of the most beautiful things about him is that he shows us what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. And I just find endlessly, endlessly stunning. And it's such a deep, and all, not only conviction, but invitation to my own heart and my daily love story with Jesus is that he doesn't have any self-defense mechanisms. And he mm-hmm. doesn't have any areas of like, uh, Self justification, like we do, he doesn't have areas of um, where his heart is armored up, or where he pushes us away because we hurt him, or where he's codependent, or he's teaching us what it means to be human. And that kind of life, the life of Jesus Christ, is so radically true and beautiful that we—it's just we're just like the disciples; we can't even fathom it. And so, mm. especially in this Lenten season, or you know, I think this will air during the Easter season, but that those. Yeah, those that truth of who Jesus is and what he's trying to accomplish. He's trying to reconcile everything to the Father in us to bring us to what it means to be human. Like, it's just beautiful. Like that's the kind mm. of God that we have, yeah.
0: Well, if he's the if role model too, is it fair to say if we're opening ourselves to embark on this journey, you know, Jesus was, was incredibly vulnerable and it brought him to the cross, mm-hmm. that for us to be, do this, we have to be willing to go through that journey mm-hmm. um, with that much kind of pain and suffering?
1: well that's the life of christ and it's his his life in us and our life in his and i think Mm -hmm. that's you know many times we talk about suffering and we talk about healing and we say you know does jesus want to heal me does he want me you know does he want me to offer this up or should i just redemptively suffer and and how about both because dr bob Schutz, the author be healed he says suffering in communion is healing Mm -hmm. so when we talk about how are are you know if you, if we all think of our you know just very reverently with Christ, if we all consider our, some of our deepest wounds, one of the fears we have in those wounds is that I'm all alone there and that nobody understands that I'm by myself, that I'm isolated, and I can never let anybody in. And so what Jesus is showing us is he's, he comes, and this is not just theological pietism, like the the truth that Jesus comes to us as a man, he comes to us as a human being. He, he's a man like us in all things but sin, and he takes on our sin, he takes on our temptation, he takes on our hunger, our thirst, our desires, our fears, our disappointments, and, and he's bringing us into his life and he's sharing his life with us with us. So that means, you know, from that's one of the beautiful things about the covenant of our baptism is that we're never alone. We are never alone. And that Mm -hmm. change, if that's true, if that is true, that we have a covenant that the Lord makes with us in baptism and a covenant says, I am yours and you are mine forever. That means it gives you and I the safety to allow everything to come out. It means that you and I are never alone. We're never by ourselves. We are never left to figure it out by ourselves or try to, you know, work harder so you can be more lovable. Jesus, God doesn't think like that. And that, that that's a radically different way of life than what most of us are used to.
0: And you spoke, you spoke so beautifully on I think you did it on the Matt Frad podcast, but then also I listened to the Is it Restore the Glory podcast mm, where you also were on yeah. there. And you know, I had the great joy of interviewing Father Mark Mary maybe six months ago. And he spoke yeah. very similarly and uses almost the exact same words that you use that Jesus honors us. Like he's so Mm -hmm. tender and caring. Cause in his case, I'd asked him, you know, after you decided to become a priest, you know, was there some deep, strong doubts where there's parts where you were really having a hard time. And he actually said, he felt like God honored him on that. He didn't Mm -hmm. give him more than he couldn't handle. He was very tender on that journey because he gave his heart and his life over to him. And, that's something probably due to my own wounds. I struggle with trusting almost that love yeah. and that tenderness and that compassion. And, and you almost mm-hmm. think of like what a human would do when you're vulnerable rather than yes. Jesus. And you use mm-hmm. that same language I remember. Jesus was so mm-hmm. honoring.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, he is. And, and I think you made a really great point there of, you know, what do humans do when we're vulnerable? Like, like those experiences mm-hmm. that we have. And I've never met anybody so considerate of human free will other than Jesus. You know, God, Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, the divine, you talk about the divine and, you know, Jesus is divine and human, but you talk about, you know, God is the divine family, the divine persons, and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how and our creation, we're given the gift of free will and God is the only person who never will ever violate it. Like, you and I all the time, we're trying to get people to do what we want them to do and think it's their, their idea, but it's really ours, you know? And we wanna control and we wanna, cause we're afraid and so we try to tell people what to do or we try to dominate or we try to, yep. and we, that's just our way of self-protection. But the Lord, um the lord does not do that and i tell you as i I just continue my journey like thank god i'm you know always on a journey because love never ends and it's like every time i get to a new level of healing in my life i'm like okay lord is this is the place where you're gonna reject me or this is a place where you know you're gonna tell me i need to do this or this and the lord always speaks the truth to me he always does and in that truth is a deep reverence for me as a person and that gives us the safety because like we we talk about how we only heal from what we feel safe to heal from and so Safety is what gives us the ability to open our hearts, to let down our guard, to be seen. Um, and that is, comes through the love of God, which he reveals to us through over time, little by little.
0: Mm. Well, how about uh, we start with, you know, we kind of just jumped in here. I love when when these questions just kind of pop up. But how about we take a step yeah. back and start with, uh, as, as listeners are already experiencing, you just have such a beautiful heart and you have a journey that, uh wasn't always easy, uh, Mm -hmm. to say the least. And, um, and then you had an encounter with authentic love and now that authentic love is just pouring out of you, what, what was that journey like, um, kind of prior to the encounter and maybe after the encounter?
1: You know, all of us have, all of us have a story and all of us have a way that we came into this world. And I think one of the most interesting things to me is been in that journey and also just what science is showing us now about attachment and about how the brain forms in the womb and how we're wired for connection and steadfast love and warmth and to be seen and known and I know for my own journey, my attachment was interrupted very deeply um, from the womb of my mother when I was I was conceived um, by a 17-year-old high school student who um, was not married, obviously, and I was the fruit of her, the union with my father. And to this day, I've never met my uh, biological parents. I don't know what they look like. Um, but it just kind of journeying in my own story, I really have a, a deep intuition that my mother at some point thought of aborting me. And so, you know, when you think about just child in the womb, and we kind of, we don't even kind of really ponder these things, but a child in the womb, like for you, Matt, like for all of us, there were stories told about you before you were even born. Like there was a song sung over you and plans for you and hopes for you and a whole milieu that you entered into the emotional state of your mama, of your dad at the time, what was happening in their lives, uh, where you fit in the system of the family. And so those things start very young. And I really believe, and it's not obviously an extrinsic memory, but we talk about emotional memories, intrinsic memories of just being unwanted, even from the very beginning. And so that for me was the, probably the deepest breakpoint. you know, the te- the deepest bond is between a mother and her child. And so for me, that was the deepest breakpoint. And then, so just from there, then I was put in a foster home for three months and then I was adopted and my adoptive parents, like they love me very, very much, but, you know, adoptive parents cannot heal the original trauma. They can be a support system and a network around it to reveal authentic love, a love that doesn't leave, a love that doesn't reject. And that's very important. But adoption is born out of both beauty and sorrow. And a lot of times people can't hold that tension. And so um, adoptive parents can't heal the original wound. They can be there with to process, but the, the child must go through that journey of the questions and and the, and the wound of abandonment and rejection and and it affects every child differently, uh, but I know for myself those were deep places. And then I was sexually abused at the age of eleven, and then I started drinking when I was twelve, and then I had more sexual violation when I was thirteen. And so my way of of handling my um, brokenness was to not tell anybody and then to just become very promiscuous and just very, I, I was an alcoholic, by the time I was a teenager. And then I you know, played division one volleyball in college and I wanted to work for ESPN. And, and I had managed my life so carefully that, you know, I'm old. So there was no cell phones back then, or there was no Instagram or anything, but, um, mm-hmm. I had a very carefully scripted narrative of things that I can tell you freely now after many years of healing, many, many years of healing that I couldn't even admit to myself. I couldn't even admit those things to myself. And so, like this journey of love and, and this journey of in, in college and encountering a very wonderful Catholic priest who just changed my whole destiny. And he changed my whole destiny, namely by how he loved Christ. And that is why I will never tire of speaking about the power of personal witness, because you cannot fake that. There's a lot of things in life you can fake, but you cannot fake an authentic life with Christ. And he wasn't perfect, nobody's perfect, and he certainly had his own part of his own story, but he was wonderful and holy and funny, and he would tell me the truth, whether I wanted to hear it or not. And I just remember at that time being like 21 years old and just looking at him one day and he was like this big, like six foot two, priest from India, just like rather posing figure. And he was looking down at me and I just, I could see Jesus looking at me through his eyes. And I just, and he was radiant. He was so beautifully radiant. I just looked at him and I said, Father, I don't know what's happening. Like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what you have, but I want that. I want that. And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, like Jesus, he said, you come and see. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did, and I came to my religious community, and that was you know almost twenty four years ago. And that was the beginning when I entered religious life, that was the beginning of my healing journey, And it is a journey that, Matt, I can tell you, continues to this very day and aim into it. And I say this a lot, and I mean mm-hmm. it. I hope I never get to the point to where I look at Jesus and I say, "That's enough. I wow. hope I never get to the point to where I say to him, "You know what, I'm good. I don't need anymore. I don't need to be refined. I don't need to be I don't need to grow here. I hope I never get to that point because I guarantee you that's the day my heart dies. So mm-hmm. I'm very willing, I am very willing by the grace of Jesus Christ to go wherever I need to go. And he mm-hmm. has permission to talk to me at any time about anything he wants to, and to visit any part of my story, any part of my heart. And I just ask that he just comes with me, that Jesus, you just be with me and reveal to me whatever you want me to know, so, yeah.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing that. And um, I'm curious when when you you mentioned the healing that started to happen after an encounter with authentic love, at what point did the healing start to become intentional versus maybe unintentional in the sense mm-hmm. of, I'm not sure if when you encountered him, Christ is already stirring in you and he's starting to work. Because um, right now, obviously, when I go through your book, you have such beautiful language of understanding mm-hmm. what's going on, but that probably wasn't always the case. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. when did in your journey you start to see all of these things? I don't know if that was when you were starting to work with Dr. Bob Schutz and being able to really articulate and help others on this journey. Um, I'm not sure if there was a point when that started to come to fruition. Mm-hmm.
1: Actually, yeah, there was a concrete moment. And so about I would say seven years, so about seven years into my religious life, I was newly professed. So that means I had newly made like my vows to Jesus, you know, poverty, chastity, mm-hmm. obedience. And so I was sent at a very young age to start a mission and to run a house of novices, which means I'm training younger sisters. And I I was just in way over my own head. And I I was just outmanned and I didn't have the tools to cope really i mean i on the outside it probably looked like i was doing a good job but interiorly didn't have the tools to cope and i i just remember sitting we lived in, we didn't have a convent yet we lived in this tiny little apartment where we had the blessed sacrament in the ch, in the ch closet of this like shag rug big apartment before we could oh. move into the convent and and i just remember sitting on the floor of that shag rug hallway and i had my head against the wall and i was just looking at jesus in the monstrance during holy hour and i just remember saying to him i can't do this mm. I, I can't i can't I can't, I cannot do this. And that was the first real realization. It was just this real realization that maybe the things that had happened to me as a little girl and the things that I'd never talked about, the things that I never wanted to admit to, maybe those things were actually having a, just a profound effect upon my life in my day-to-day life. And that was that was over 17 years ago now. And that was the beginning of a very concerted, intentional healing journey that the Lord opened up the doors to. But I I was like voracious about it. And I still am like, I'm willing to do whatever I need to do. I started reading. I started trying to understand what my, what my hurts were. I, you know, start at, you name it, therapy, you name it, you name it, you name it. And so, yeah, it's, it's very, um, and it more is always revealed. That's a beautiful thing. It's like, oh, I get to learn more every day. So <laughs> that's wonderful. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged, uh, uh. I struggle with that word, but encouraged to hear that because I had a, mm-hmm. something a little bit similar, and I won't go into details here. But maybe for the listeners at some point in the future. But as you know, I became Catholic more or less, really dove into it with the the Rosary and the Mass daily and adoration. Maybe 2014, 2015, and things were going beautiful, and I didn't really realize the wounds that I had. And then it was mm-hmm. 2020, the pandemic, that really started to reveal them. And then I thought, okay, this is just external stressors. It'll all rectify itself when it's done. And then I realized, wait, no, this isn't. And it was the first time they kind of came to the surface. And then it was your interview that really made me, if I had to put a decisive moment, like I have to get intentional about this. I always, I described it to a friend recently. I was like a high functioning, wounded person. You you can really go through life just kind of surviving. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I want to thrive more than just survive. Uh, and so that's that 's what my hope too with listeners as they hear this is this can be maybe a moment that spurs them into realizing that there's another level of intentionality that can be just so beautiful mm-hmm. with this mm-hmm. and I was intending to jump to a little bit of c s Lewis here, but we can always circle back to that later i'd mm-hmm. i'd love to hear you know when you when a person becomes intentional let's say someone is listening to this and says, "You know what, I do see that I might have some needs for this, and they want to get intentional on this healing journey where do they begin? What's kind of that first step or that stage in the process of something like mm-hmm. this? Whether they're already have a strong relationship with Christ or maybe they have a quite a weak one. Like what does that beginning stage look like when you mm-hmm. try to get intentional? What would you recommend to them to start mm-hmm. that journey?
1: Yeah. I, I would turn I would recommend them to to sit with the Lord and just ask the Lord, first of all, to admit it to the Lord many times, like like it really does say in the 12-step meetings, you know, our first the first step is admitting that we have a problem and our life is unmanageable. And it is sitting with the Lord and admitting, Lord, whatever. And I, we always talk about like our most pressing symptoms. So all of us have like a most pressing symptom. So, And like you said, just so beautifully, and I just want to honor your heart there and your story of mm. of just the, um, of the wounds coming to the surface, which feels like death, doesn't it? And it's like, it I does. have tried so hard my my whole life to get these things to go away. And now they're just coming to the surface and I can't stop it. And it feels like a death. And it's like at those moments, we have a decision where we can push them down again or try to or try to mediate or try to medicate or we can sit with the lord and say lord this is unmanageable to be with me here and i don't know what to do but i need you to be with me and so i think understanding that we don't go into these places by ourselves, and that the lord allows them to surface and the lord I, I jesus i've been praying about this a lot lately. that jesus says i am the way I am the way the truth and the life. So if if that's true, so let we can test it out. So if Jesus really is the way, if that's true, that means there always there's always a way through everything. That always mm-hmm. and that way is Christ. And so even though we might look at our hearts and say, "Well, gosh, I've got a million pressing symptoms, it's like a ball of yarn." Well, what is the just what is the first right step for you? And what is that first thing for you? And so and I think going from there and because it's easy, like for Lent, like we give up 600 things and by the Friday of Lent, we're like, already, it's like, I'm like, dude, just pick (laughs) one, just just pick one thing and do it well, you know? And if it, it, that's fine if it breaks you, like we don't, we're fine with that, but it's like, oh my gosh, you know? But yeah, I think that, and I mean, I recommend to Christians of every denomination of, even like non-believers, like the Bob's, Dr. Bob's book, Be Healed, is so helpful in kind of parsing that out of like, where where do you go? Like, what is what is the next right step? But I think pretending, like, so we all have a choice every day. Like, when these things come to the surface, I can I can, I can can turn to my self-reliance and try to manage it myself and try to fix it myself and make myself seemingly lovable. Or I can mm-hmm. sit in these places of vulnerability and dependence and just say, Jesus, I will let you love me here and show me the way. And the Lord always does. And it might not be instantaneous, but if we keep pressing into that with the Lord, he will show us. I mean, it might be hard for us to accept, but he'll show us the next step forward.
0: Mm-hmm and i felt like in my own personal journey that the well the first step before i got to the intentionality it was it was very it was a very saddening time because i i felt in 2020 i was like you know, was this last 5 years all fake was Mm -hmm. I never really in love with Christ. Because when you start Mm -hmm. seeing the symptoms of your wounds, you start to really Mm -hmm. question Mm -hmm. whether you're a good person, whether Mm -hmm. this was all... I mean, how could you be living this way, going to mass, praying the rosary, doing all this stuff, and yet all this stuff is still causing you to act out in ways that's just not um, in line necessarily with um, loving people, authentic love. And so I really went through a dark period emotionally, just really questioning the goodness of my heart. But then it was... Well, through reading some of your stuff that I realized, no, there's there is there is this might be the Lord inviting me to another level uh, of Mm -hmm. just trying to go deeper with him. And it might Mm -hmm. end up when I look back being a blessing in disguise that this eventually came to the surface. And that gave me a lot of hope. Mm -hmm. And then what was so helpful for me in the journey was really looking at the symptoms and then, like as a doctor does of like my own life, what are the ways that keep repeating themselves? And then, okay, what's the root under it for me out of your uh, I've been enjoying your Hallow stuff with the, oh, the baptismal yeah. identity and the the mm-hmm. suffering. So listeners, by the way, go check um, Sister Miriam James and Dr. Bob shoot stuff on Hallow. She actually has ways that will help pray you through mm-hmm. these different wounds. But for me, rejection was a big one. And so I, I could feel. start seeing how this was constantly manifesting itself. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and then I got to a point where I could recognize almost like exact, this, everything that's wrong, <laughs> almost. Mm-hmm. But then one question I did have was, all right, so I feel like at the self-awareness stage, I can see the the, the identity and how I'm placing in the wrong stuff. I can see the way it's playing itself out. I can almost name the things that are happening, but then it still keeps struggling with it. And like, what? What? combination of whether it's, you know, prayer, fasting, is it sitting in silence? You know, what are some of the tools that can be helpful to getting to that next step after awareness and understanding of inviting Christ in? I guess maybe the way it phrases this is what does it mean to invite him in? Is it just sitting in prayer in front of the Blessed Sacrament and just saying, Lord, please, and just naming it? Uh, are there some tools that we can use like a novena with some fasting? I mean, what would be some suggestions that could be helpful tools on that journey to after awareness to actual healing?
1: hmm mm. oh those are good questions and i i can hear as you're saying that i can hear those little places of your heart <laughs> and they're very they're very tender like those are the little places inside right and they're very tender and i just want to honor those because those I'll are the places them. we often those are the places we often shame ourselves and we say like what the hell is wrong with me like mm-hmm. i like you said i go to mass i pray the rosary And these little places that are so in such need of love and to be seen and to be cared for and to be spoken to and kindness, like those places keep just trying to get my attention and they, and it's so easy for us to try to shame ourselves into a conversion or criticize ourselves into a conversion and nobody's ever shamed or criticized into a conversion. Mm -hmm. And it's really in these places of sitting with the Lord in these places and like, what is whatever however we're acting out whether it's you know all of us have our own tendencies like and like you said beautifully Matt like that wound of rejection you know I, th- I think all of us have like one two or three like major like I call them break points in the foundation of our soul and like everything else is just variation on a theme and um it's like those places and so so yeah what what am I believing about myself there You know, what is this? What is this trying to tell me? Like what because that none of it's random. It actually all makes sense. Like you said yourself, it all makes sense. It's like, oh, my sins, my wounds, actually, they they actually overlap and they all make sense. Because it's Uh me trying to stop the suffering, or it's me trying to make sure it doesn't happen to me again, or it's me trying to gain control. Like I think control and the spirit of control is one of the most powerfully like destructive forces in our life in so many ways of us trying to be self-reliant and control things or control other people or control God because we're so afraid and so i think there's so many ways that jesus heals us he heals us through prayer but and he heals us in that face-to-face relationship with him he heals us through the sacrament of confession which is a healing Mm -hmm. sacrament which goes to the roots of our soul it doesn't just wipe away sins and kind of you know we come out the same way we were it it does it washes away sins but that grace that sacrament is so efficacious that it actually seeps into the marrow of our being and heals the root of our sin Um, the Holy Eucharist is obviously Jesus Christ himself. And so every day when I receive Jesus, I just say, Jesus, come come and be with me, come heal me in the place I need it the most. And sometimes I know what that is, and sometimes I don't. I'm a big advocate for a really good, wonderful counselor for 12 step mm-hmm. meetings for reading about what is your particular like what are experts saying you know and some really good books like what are experts saying about your particular area of sorrow and like what can people help us understand about like what is science showing now about how brains work and what are what are the sources of addiction like there's so many ways that the lord heals us um and you know good spiritual direction good friends to talk to people that know us that can sing our song back to us when we forget so there's so many mm. there's so many ways forward but the self-reliance and us trying to fix ourselves is is not going to work. And I and I say this often, and I say it muster myself as I say it to you, is that Jesus Christ does not come to fix us. He comes to bring us in the wholeness and communion. And so often we just want to be fixed. And like, Lord, just fix me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go my way. And Lord, Lord's like, I love you too much to fix you. I want to be in a relationship with you. Can you just be with me here? You know. So.
0: I told, I was in confession uh, right before Lent uh, with a priest I know, and so I was just confessing some stuff and was feeling really down and, in- One, first of all, I agree completely. Confession is one of the most beautiful things. I have had more, three or four so impactful ones where I just broke down crying on those because just the tenderness and the mercy Mm -hmm. of the priest in those moments. And I remember one of them right at the end of the pandemic, uh, if you want to, I don't know if there's really an end, but near after like nine months in and I just started crying to him. And he just said, I want you to know like, it's going to be okay and I'm going to pray for you. And just the way he said it in the moment, I was like, so often it does get a bad reputation almost where it feels like it's told that, oh, you just have to go to confession to get these off your sin and it's all going to be good. And it's like, it's such a healing sacrament and it's so beautiful. But I was in one right before Lent and I was telling the priest, we started talking about Latin. and I'm like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm doing the Sexist 90 stuff. I'm gonna be doing Sister Miriam James' book. I bought a journal just to answer all the questions and I can't wait to be healed at the end of it. And he like, <laughs> he like takes a step back. He goes, you might not be healed at the end of it. <laughs> and so yeah. I like that language he used but It's an invitation to communion with him. It doesn't necessarily yes. mean everything's going to be fixed and everything's no. going to be made right per se. Mm. And that was just such beautiful language. And he really mm. stressed that with me. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think you're just being honest because all of us have all of us just want to arrive already for the love of Pete. Can we yes. just arrive and we, can we stop being so needy and stop being so in need of grace? And my spiritual director, he's an exorcist, and he says he he really believes like it's his own personal opinion, but he said I really believe God allows us to have weaknesses for two reasons. Number one, so that we know that we need Him, and number two is that so we know that He's a giver of good gifts. And I said, mm, oh, that's that so. Beautiful. That's so good because it is terrifying for us as human beings to be in need and to be dependent and to be vulnerable. Like we were talking about at the very beginning, like we are so convinced that means we're going to be rejected. And with the Lord, we're never rejected. He never rejects us.
0: Mm. Well, and you were, you were talking about, you know, we all want to jump to the end and actually someone i had asked some of our listeners to send in some questions. And one that someone asked was, how do we balance being loved as I am? And we're in this journey, and we're we're trying to heal and maybe get towards a, a destination, but we know that could take time. And being still plagued with the same sins and symptoms mm-hmm. and brokenness, and so just just sitting in that tension of "I am loved as I am," but the stuff mm-hmm. I'm doing is not very lovable. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is that? He really asks, you know, what does that look like wrestling with that tension, if if that's even a tension?
1: Mm-hmm. I think we all have those places of our heart of. You know Bob talks about very clearly about uh where he says um behind every disorder desire is a good and holy desire, an unmet need, an unhealed wound, and a hidden pattern of sin mm-hmm. and so we can look in our lives and kind of see whatever our disorder is, whatever it is that what's the holy desire underneath it what am I really looking for?" And then what's happening? And and those are the deep roots of our those are the deep roots of why we do what we do. And so you know Jesus says every tree is known by its fruit. And so for us, it's really when we sit with the Lord, and it's not like we're scratching at ourselves, not like Eustace right in the Narnia series where he's the dragon scratching at himself. And I often use that so often because people, I think that's what we think healing is. I'm going to take my dragon claws and I'm going to try to scratch off my dragon skin and I'm going to heal. And it's it's just so hideous and so ugly. And we so identify with Eustace because we all feel shame and we hate the way our selfishness is like the golden ring around our arm that is cutting off our circulation. And it bites and it's disgusting to look at. And we just are so wrapped in shame. And it really is Jesus as Aslan coming to us saying, you will have to let me undress you. Mm. You will have to let me do this. And the Lord, he get that means he gets to do this in his own way and in his own time because he's sovereign and he knows and he and he sees. And so I think sitting in those places of, you know, we can distinguish person with from behavior. And so we're we're always behaving out of what we truly believe. Like, you know, that's why our behavior shocks us at times is because we don't, you know, we have this kind of intellectual understanding and, but then there's these little places of our heart, this theology of our heart, which has different beliefs. That's why Jesus is so interested in coming to sit beside us and to transform what we believe about ourselves, about other people, about God, about him. And that's where the transformation takes place. But it's only in the depths of the heart, which is why he's always very interested about the heart. The, and the the Lord, you know, the heart is so replete in biblical narratives of the heart. Guard your heart from the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks, wherever your treasures or your heart will be. And so these things matter. And so we must allow Jesus to reveal himself in the depths of our hearts and he won't force his way in there.
0: Mm. And, and I I love the Eustace metaphor that was, that's I saw it. actually, despite, doing a CS Lewis podcast. I've not read all of the Nardia books. Mm -hmm. And so what we're doing is because I'm the one host that hasn't every, after every season we read one. And so we just did the voyage of the Dawn Treader. And I thought that scene was one of Mm. the most beautiful scenes because there is so much wisdom into trying yourself. It comes back. It's like, that's what we all do at first. We try, 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 try. Mm -hmm. We get, feels like a little progress for a second Mm -hmm. and then it comes back. And then there comes a point where you just surrender and you, and you let the Lord do it. But I'm I'm curious. What would you say to people that as they as they embark on this journey, or maybe they're ready for these scales to be ripped off, this false self? What are expectations, maybe? And I know this is really a tough one because everyone's journey is going to be a little bit different. But what are some expectations of pain that could be of going on this journey, or um, timing that could be on this? You know, it's it's maybe there's just a real big excitement, like you know what? I want to go deep with this, and I want to unpack my wounds. But sometimes we can not realize what we're about to embark on and it's mm-hmm. not going to always be easy and there might be some ups and downs what could be some expectations mm-hmm. that they could have to and that could help prepare them for this journey
1: mm-hmm. that uh, it's a lifelong journey because it's a journey of love mm-hmm. and because love never ends right um love never ends so we're always growing more in love because li- life is about love it is about giving ourselves in love and being received and receiving others in love so that is our our whole order is toward love the truth of, of who we are and who God is. And so I think we can expect that um the Lord is going to lead us that we're not going to lead ourselves like even in Lent, you know the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the desert. We're not taking ourselves there. So we're going to let the Lord lead us. We are going to have seasons that will be like the paschal mystery. So we're going to have suffering, we're going to have crucifixion, we're going to have resurrection, we're going to have ascension. And these mm many times are simultaneously playing out in different parts of our heart. And so you can kind of look and and there will be seasons where it just feels like everything is crucifixion or everything is the tomb. Like you feel like you're in the tomb. And then we have seasons where it feels like the resurrection, the ascension, and then it's a cycle. Healing is cyclical. Okay. It's not linear. It's cyclical. And so understanding that this is the Christian narrative of the Paschal mystery of Christ. If our life is really to be oriented in Christ, that means that we're going to follow the pattern of his life. So the life, death, and resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. And so understanding that, that that means that really takes the pressure off us because it's not up to us to make it happen. We don't have to figure it out on our own. Um, And we can also, I I would say, be very honest and just release expectations of what I think I'm going to look like or what I think this should be because... The Lord is, all he is about is making us more like him. (laughs) So he's freeing us. Like it's very, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a legend of Michelangelo who sculpted the David, you know, and the Pieta and the legend of that David, you know, if you've ever seen the David, which is this beautiful uh, sculpture of David, the shepherd, as he's getting ready to go into battle to fight um, Goliath. And the that block of marble it's a a famous story whether it's true or not but it's a legend but like that block of marble sat outside in a quarry for many years and none of the artists wanted to work with it because it was weather stained and it also had a fatal flaw in the marble and so it was passed over by every other artist but michelangelo supposedly said when he saw that block of marble he saw the david in it already and he said all he had to do was remove the parts of the, the marble that weren't the David, and the David emerged on its own. And that's really the truth of how the Lord works with us. Like Healing is removing the parts of us that are less human, the parts of us that are, that are, that are critical, the parts of us that are sinful, the parts of us that are actually are not us, that will not be with us for all eternity. It's allowing those places to come forth, and it comes through the crucifixion, and Jesus rises with his wounds open. And our wounds he's not ashamed mm. of his wounds and he's not ashamed of ours and we're often i know myself like we're often so ashamed of them but the lord's not ashamed of our wounds he's not yeah.
0: mm. and and what does it look like to a person maybe before going on this healing journey i mean I know it's kind of hard to bifurcate because it's just one big long journey but Person before, before they've had that encounter with authentic love, living out of their wounds, maybe this is a better way to phrase that, living out of their wounds versus living out of the heart that's in the identity of the beloved. Like, what, what, maybe could you compare and contrast a little bit what it can look like to live out of wounds versus to live out of authentic love?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, we can look at living in authentic love, we can look at Christ, and then we can look. Just at the ways we aren't like him, and, and you know, we can see that in the Garden of Genesis, in Genesis, even after the fall, where Adam and Eve, you know, after they acquiesce to the lie of the enemy, and that is the lie that says God is not good, He doesn't love you, and that He's, you know, doesn't want you to be like Him, and, and all of us, the enemy whispers that same variation to all of us every day, and we see from that moment, you know, the shattering. We see the shattering of Adam and Eve within themselves. So we see the shattering in their relationship with God. Now they hide. They hide. They sow fig leaves. Their shame enters in. They start to blame one another. Um, Adam even blames God, you know. And so it's like all the things we do. We see even from the very beginning of the rupture. But that's the that's always the cornerstone. Is it's the rupture of relationship. And so the places where our hearts have been ruptured in love from original sin, but also from our own personal wounds that people have inflicted on us and we've inflicted on ourselves and others. Every time you know we sin, we wound ourselves and others. It's those places the Lord wants to bring into wholeness and communion, which is why we talk about healing is not fixing. Healing is bringing us into relationship, bringing us into wholeness and communion. And when you study the Gospels, what you see is every healing that Jesus Christ manifests is always about communion no matter what it is it's always about communion he's always bringing the person he's healing into communion with himself with within the person in in society every communion every healing is or toward communion and so that's the same pattern being worked out in your life and in my life and and you know all of us were just wonderfully self-reliant and like we go back to that same thing over and over again trying to put our fig leaves on and trying to deflect or trying to hide and you know, I just love the language of God the Father as he comes looking for Adam and Eve after this sin. That He just says, where are you? Like, where, where are you? And he comes to us and he asks that question every day. Like, my beloved son, where are you? Like, where are you? Oh, and, you know, so often we're someplace else and we think God's lost, but it's us. And he comes in search of us. And just so, he's so gracious like the Lord is so kind and gracious to us that he we offend him and he comes in search of us to reconcile us to himself. I just he's so beautiful. Like he just is so beautiful. I, I just I don't know anybody like Jesus Christ. Like he's so mm-hmm. lovely. So lovely. Yeah.
0: Oh well I pre- that was such a beautiful answer. One of my favorite books actually is uh, that was very transformational in my journey. Was have you ever read Henry and Return of the Prodigal Son?
1: Yes, I love Henry and talking about somebody who's vulnerable. Oh. Yes,
0: uh-huh. <laughs> is that whole part and in, uh, in Return of the Prodigal Son and his book The Beloved, where he talks about the world tells us you're only loved if your yes. so identity becomes in like winning that approval. Mm-hmm. And then the baptismal identity, you are like love despite, like you are loved just as you are, was just yeah. the first time I think I ever came across this false self, true self rooted in the mm-hmm. proper identity versus uh, the non-proper. And yours just is taking this so much deeper for me, uh, mm-hmm. but I love that book.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, don't you find him at like, Matt, Henry Nowen, is one of those people that's so vulnerable. It just pierces all yes. of your self def- I'm like, I, I read it. I like to put it down. So I'm like, stop being so vulnerable, man. You're like convicting me. I'm like, it's just like, you can't say that out loud. Like that's inside voice and you're saying it in your outside voice and you know, I'm like just dying. I'm like, I love it. But it's so hard to read sometimes because I'm just like, ah, yes. stop it. You
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. Um, it just really touches something in you. Oh, but like so you mentioned good. before, that witness stirs something at the same yes. time too. Because it, for me, I always notice the deficiency I am from that part of vulnerability yes. and, I, and I deficiency might be a bit of a harsh word, but like, I just, I, I recognize I'm not that vulnerable yeah. and it really just, it, it moved me uh, a big you. time.
1: I hear you. Yep. It's so beautiful. Yeah.
0: Now we had uh, another listener that sent in and said uh, this now read it exactly as they wrote it. Sister, as I attempt to preserve and living authentically for Christ, I find my heart aches in the impatience of waiting in times of hardship. Mm-hmm. If this is the Lord's will for me to wait, why is this time so difficult? What prayers or resources do you recommend to help in that that time of hardship, that time of waiting, the mm-hmm. suffering?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I believe it was Venerable Tom Petty who said, what, the waiting is the hardest part, right? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't, that, <laughs> yeah. isn't that true? And I, I, I think it's interesting of, I mean, I, it sounds like, dear person who submitted this question, there's probably several things happening. It sounds like you're waiting for something good to happen or something evil to pass. So there's the goodness of want the return of love, which is a beautiful, holy desire. And then I think probably also, I just, just, this comes to my heart as this, as I, as I listen to you, um, number one, I'd say, what are you believing about yourself in the waiting? Like, what do you believe Mm -hmm. about yourself there? Because for a lot of us, waiting means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. And a lot of it hits on stuff as children. Like when when it seems like God is not answering or that you have to wait, what are you believing about yourself? And secondly, like where do you want to try to control that? And that's part of it also is because the waiting takes the control out of our hands. And so how are you trying to control it? Because that can help understand like how we're trying to manage the situation versus – like the surrender of just the day-to-day life of how Jesus, there's a wonderful uh, article that came out many years ago by a French bishop and a lot of seminaries use it in their seminary formation. But even the title of the article is stunningly beautiful. And the title of the article is the chastity of Jesus and the refusal to grasp, right? The chastity wow. of Jesus and the refusal to grasp. And so he, the, the, the bishop is talking about in the article of how Jesus is the eternal son and he always receives from the father and he never grasps at ever like Adam and Eve grasp, you and I grasp that Jesus, that's chastity is the receiving, not the grasping. And so, what these, you know, what these moments in our life, these tests, so to speak, they reveal what's in our heart and they reveal the truth of what's happening in our heart. So, where do I want to grasp to make it happen? or put it on my own terms or get somebody to convert. So then my life is better. Like, you know, it's codependency. So it's like, yeah, I just think these are really important things for us to sit with the Lord and kind of ask ourselves with the Lord, these questions, because it's going to tell us a lot about our hearts. Um, because you know, when you're like a little kid and if you trust your parents, like say they're late coming to pick up after school, but dad said he'll be there and dad's always there. So dad's going to come. Like dad's going to come, mm-hmm. you're going to sit on a little bench, you're going to wait for dad to come pick you up after work because dad's always there. And it's a difference between us versus like, is dad going to come? Like if his dad is inconsistent. And so, yeah, what am I believing about myself? What am I believing about God in this? Does God not care? Does he, those are really important questions. And then the control, yeah.
0: Wow. I appreciate that and as we get to the the last part of this mm-hmm. uh, I want to circle back to a little bit of CS Lewis. Yeah. So the other way this sort of came about the I, I obviously I explained how I came across you and the impact that I had but never thought of you know, being able to chance to have this conversation with you and then I was going through your Loved as I Am book and I noticed in probably 70% of the chapters, the, t- the quote at the beginning of them is a different C.S. Lewis quote. So I sent in our co-host group chat. I was like, guys, Sister Mary James quote C.S. Lewis all the time. <laughs> and so what has been your experience with C.S. Lewis?
1: I, I'm not a scholar of C.S. Lewis. I want to admit that. Like, I just love him. I think he's beautiful. And his writings are so wonderfully, poetically, lyrically stunning and their truth and their goodness. And there's like this, it's like a sword encrusted in jewels that pierces your soul Mm -hmm. so beautifully. Like it's, and I just, he is stunning. And I I mean, I I love reading. When I was a little girl, my mom used to read to me for hours. And I think that's where I get my love of reading, but she never read to me any of the Narnia series. And it wasn't really until um, many years later that I was, you know, ended up reading the Narnia series book by book. And I, I found myself during like certain moments when Aslan would confront the children, I would start to weep, like weep deeply. And um, I was like, well, that's not normal, you know? So then, but it, it wasn't until <laughs> until years later, I saw a, a talk by a Catholic philosopher named Dr. Peter Kraft, And he said, mm-hmm. he was giving a talk on C.S. Lewis and he said, it's his opinion, but I agree with him. He said, it's his opinion. He believes that the character of Aslan is most like Jesus Christ out of all of literature. And it kind of helped me understand like just the beauty of what was happening there. And so C.S. Lewis has come into my life in, in many ways. And I, I quote extensively from the Narnia series of just those, deep and perennial quotes of a, a children's story which to this day i really believe has the best vision of heaven i've ever read in literature um and so i think there's things about that that are timeless that are, that are eternally true no matter how much you want to redefine this or that or try to say this isn't true or that's not it there's certain things you can never ever redefine because they are eternally true because god has them to be so because they're in line with what is keeping of the human person and who god is and cs lewis's writings are i think one of those things
0: Mm. And what, uh, this might be a little bit tougher. I'm not sure how your mm-hmm. experience with Till We Have Faces, but I heard you reference oh Till We My Have Faces God. in, well, one of our co-hosts, it's his favorite. It's mine and David's second favorite. Mm-hmm. We really love The Great Divorce because the whole idea of ultimate reality being tough to be able to accept and we adapt and the angels come and help us on a journey. We, we really love mm-hmm. that. But one of our co-hosts, favorite book is Till We Have Faces. Mm-hmm. And I heard you at the Matt Fradd interview mention the when we see him face to face, that's all there is. There's nothing mm-hmm. yet. So yeah, what's what's been your experience with Till We have Faces? And do you believe there's some wisdom in that in the healing journey? We did that book um just before this past season.
1: Dude, yes. I I'm <laughs> struck I probably learned a lot from your book study, but I remember coming across it because I was giving a talk on or I was you know, talking about Narnia and somebody was like, Hey, have you ever read Till We had Faces? And I'm like, No, I never read that. So then I read it and I actually gave a talk at Seek one year about that whole thing about Till We have Faces. And so that, the, the, the face of the human person. And then, um, I forget the main character, but you know, she had all these complaints, all these complaints, all these complaints. Yes, like that's, Orwell. Yes, it's so, that's so true. And she's comparing and she finds herself hideous and she covers her face and, you know, her whole life has just been like complaining and, you know, and you could boil all the complaints down to one. It just was so good until she finally sees divinity and oh, his face is the answer. And it was so, I remember just putting the book down and just like almost like Edith Stein, when she retreats of Ava, like putting the book down saying, this is true. Like this is mm. this is true of like his face, which is why St. Paul says, you know, we we now see dimly as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. And we will finally see as we are seen and know as we are known and loved as we are loved. Like I really, I, I just, you know what, Matt, I really believe that, you know, all of us in, in our life say, why, you know, why did this happen to me? Why do I have this? Why, why? And I, I really believe that every single one of us, when we leave Kronos and we enter into Kairos and we see God face to face, I think all of us are gonna say, oh, right, like, right. Like when we see his face, it will finally make sense and we will see that there could have been no other way. Even in the Mm. most stunningly mysterious, sorrowful things, we will see that his way has been woven through the whole thing and we'll be like, oh, right,
0: right. What a beautiful moment that's gonna be. Yeah,
1: oh, yes, yes.
0: Well, the last, Thing I'll bring up here before we bring this to a close is, you had a quote in your book that I thought really reminded me of C.S. Lewis's *The Great Divorce*, mm-hmm. but I also thought it could be a very inspiring quote for people who might be a little bit afraid of this journey. Mm-hmm. So often, the healing of this of the deepest brokenest produces the most powerful light, mm-hmm. and Lewis has this part in. Uh, the Great Divorce, where the lizard on the shoulder representing mm-hmm. different kind of sins. People speculate what sin it represents, but the person doesn't want to get rid of it. It's like mm-hmm. they know it's bad, it's mm-hmm. there, but you know what? I, I'm managing it. It's okay. I'm surviving. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they start, he he surrenders and says, okay, you can take this. And the angel burns it away and it's mm-hmm. painful. And in the process, like, actually, you know what? Never mind. I don't know if I really want this. This hurts. But then it becomes a stallion that yeah. helps him ride up. And I think there's so much hope in that because mm-hmm. we, our brokenness can be painful to go through mm-hmm. that. And we're angry, we're even going, we're having it. But sometimes the big, deepest brokenness can become the most powerful light. And I think that was just one of the most beautiful quotes. And so I don't know if you have anything you want to say around that, but if not, we can leave it there, but you can yeah. as well.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you think of, I, you know, I was just talking to somebody about one of my dear friends about this very thing yesterday. And we just think of how... Like all of us, you know, we're all adults and we can just look back on our life and we can just look at our suffering. And there is there is a wisdom in suffering, Matt, that comes from no other way. And just think of all yeah. you've learned in your life and are still learning from these moments of suffering. And yes, we learn from joy and glory that, don't get me wrong, like those are very equally important, but there is a particular wisdom that comes from suffering and the way where the enemy comes to steal kill and destroy Satan comes to steal kill and destroy that in those very places that in the sovereignty of God he's allowed if we allow those places to be touched by Jesus to be transformed we will love in a way and we will grow in a virtue in a way that is particular to that place where we love in a way that we could have not loved otherwise and that's Mm -hmm. the profound paradox of Christianity that's a profound paradox of The cross it is profound paradox of vulnerability equaling communion it's a profound paradox of of the worst possible thing that could happen being transformed into the best thing that ever happened and we can't fabricate that and there's no there's no other way to life than through the cross of jesus christ and that is the path that he is inviting us to why to make us one with the father to bring us home as c.s lewis says it's like a book which no one on earth has read and which goes on forever and in which every chapter is better than the one before and that's why we ache for it and that's where we're going so it's worth it it's so worth it let's go it's worth it yeah
0: what a beautiful way to, to bring this to a con- uh, closure. But before we sign off, uh, where can listeners find a little bit more about you uh, if they're interested in some of the resources that you've written and uh, dive more into this with, with you?
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, well, the book that you so graciously referenced is called "Loved as I Am," and I wrote that about ten years ago. And then I have a recent book called "Restore," which you're going through through Lent, which is more of a just a kind of like, hey, what, here's what I've learned in the last ten years. You know, so that's a, <laughs> a beautiful glimpse into your heart. I have a podcast called "Abiding Together" with two of my very dear friends, and we um, we're in our eleventh season now. We've had about nine million downloads of our podcast, and so
0: that's incredible. Um, yeah, it's just
1: people just really are blessed by just our friendship and what we're learning. Like we just we're not perfect. We're just trying to learn like you. So that. Um, I just a lot of videos on YouTube, the Matt Fred interview, like you said. Um, but really, you know what? My heart, my my real heart is that people encounter Jesus, like that people really encounter the particular love that He has for them, and the truth of just your immense goodness, just your immense goodness. And God is for you. He's He is for you, and He's never leaving you. Yeah.
0: Mm. Oh, well, thank you for that. And. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on. This has been uh, the biggest honor to me and privilege. And uh, like I said, I was so nervous for this one because just the impact that you've already had in my life and it was just felt like God bringing us all together. So thank you so much for coming on uh, and really greatly appreciate it.
1: Oh, it's been an honor and a blessing, Matt. Thank you for sharing your beautiful heart as well. It's been a lovely gift to spend time with you today.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you.